We're going to pick up uh, the book of Proverbs in the um, last chapter of Proverbs, and that would be 31, 31. You got it. Hey, the other thing is, is we're going to go downtown again and share the gospel and pray with people and that sort of thing on February 10th. And um, February 10th at noon, we meet at the Christmas tree. Well, it's not a Christmas tree anymore because they took it down. But the skating rink in PPG Plaza, we meet there. And most of us or a lot of us park on the Boulevard of the Allies. It's uh, So anyway, uh, that's where we're going to meet on February 10th. Uh, we're going to pack some lunches prior to that. So if you want to see Jan or Tiffany, uh, they'll they can get you all, all set with that. What do you think about when you think of Proverbs 31? Well, some of us in here, maybe half of us, get a huge pit in our stomach. And uh, that would be the female lady, or female portion of the uh, congregation. And why? Why am I saying this? Because many people believe it's dealing with perfection. Perfection. And how they, and uh, this is no comment on they, but the feeling is how they fall woefully short. But I want to show you a couple things about Proverbs 31 that maybe you've never thought about before. And I want to lift, hopefully, pray prayerfully, I want to lift any guilty feelings that would um, be felt by anybody by reading through Proverbs 31. Because the first thing I want you to note is everybody thinks it's one poem. Proverbs 31, it's about the perfect woman. Proverbs 31 is actually two poems. Did you know that? And that's something that you may or may not have known, but one is about a noble or a valiant king. And the second poem is about what everybody knows as the virtuous woman. We'll talk about that, but... Anyway, those are two poems. It's two poems that make up Proverbs 31. The other thing I want you to know, and I think this is liberating for half of us in here, hopefully, is that these poems are directed towards men, not the woman. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him, Now, many times in the Proverbs, there's talk of father teaching their children. But here at the end, remember, these last two uh, uh, Proverbs are sort of like exhibits. See Exhibit A, chapter 30, and see Exhibit B, chapter 31. And one of the things I want you to know is it's two poems, it's not one. And the second thing I want you to know is this is directed towards men. Not necessarily women. Obviously, women read it. We're going to talk about how it relates to the ladies. But this is directed towards men. And the other thing that I want you to know, and I think this will liberate you right here, if you ever had guilty feelings. Pastors always bring this or trot these scriptures out on Mother's Day and then make everybody feel guilty. But this thing, this characteristic of 
verses 10 through 31, I think if you know it, should get rid of the guilty feelings almost instantly. And here's what it is. Verses 10 through 31 is a poem, folks. How do I know? Because it's an, an acrostic poem. In other words, obviously in Hebrew it's different, but there's 22 verses, or excuse me, letters in the Hebrew, or, or however many, uh, 10 through 31 there. And each line starts with the letter of the alphabet going in order which is telling you something. It's like saying, this is the complete list. This is like from A to Z. It's like this. This is a poem, a beauty, a praise of what a godly woman starts to look like and how you as a son, mom is saying, should look for a wife. It's not that there's any perfect woman out there. No, we live this side of heaven. Praise the Lord that we have the righteousness of Christ, all of us, men and women, so for, for any who are in Christ, so that God sees us as perfectly righteous, yet we know that we're still being sanctified, amen, from glory to glory, and none of us are perfect. Last thing, and we'll get into it is I think if you look in the part about what everybody seems to think is the perfect woman, (laughs) he's actually saying to the husband, are you doing your job? What do I mean? Well, look in uh, verse 11. And then we'll go back and do the whole proverb. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil. Why does she do him good and not evil? And why can she be trusted? Because he has treated her in a godly, noble, loving, caring, safe, and secure way. That's why. Now, she's her own independent person, and she's strong, and we're going to see all of that. But in the confines of the marriage relationship, the man can trust her with all things. It's speaking here in terms of finances, but it means with all things. He can trust her with his heart. Men have a hard time. I don't know if you know this, but men have a hard time unveiling their heart to anyone. And when it gets unveiled and gets ripped up and torn to shreds, the man tends to retreat. And there's this thing where the man is patient and loving and provides a safe and secure emotionally, spiritually place for the wife. And she in turn can be trusted back to him. He's speaking to the husband there. That's one place. There is another place. Look over in verse 20. I mean, 23, sorry. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The husband and wife are so much in love. They're so trusting, so giving one to the other 
he looks out for her good and she looks out for his good so that all the things at home and other places are so solid and peaceful and taken care of and wonderful that her husband is able to go out into the place of the gates and be prominent and have honor placed upon him. That's what this verse is talking about. Because she's so wonderful and noble herself. That the man becomes known for his godliness, you see. She is sharpening him as he is sharpening her. What a beautiful picture. And then look, in verse 28, this isn't my love language, so I've got to work on it. But her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. He encourages her. He loves her. And the kids recognize it, and they're safe, and they're secure. And she's encouraged and blessed. My goodness. This is a message to the men. <laughs> and so what a blessed thing. What a blessed thing. What a way to end. I mean, the Bible starts, listen, the Bible starts with the marriage right out of the gate. We get to the book of wisdom and we get to the crescendo of the book of wisdom you're going to turn back to the next chapter, which is chapter 1, and do it again for another month. And when you get to the end of the month, the Lord's going to remind you what it is inside of a marriage that makes it beautiful. And instead of pointing to your wife and saying, you need to be this, and you need to be that, and you need to be this, if you read the Scriptures, you see, oh, wow, wait a minute. The Lord was speaking to me to bless my wife. Incredible. And then the Bible ends with the marriage. <laughs> Us, the bride of Christ, being united with Jesus. The marriage feast and married, God bless you, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that incredible? Marriage plays a prominent role throughout the Bible. And that doesn't mean anything uh, for those who are single. The Bible tells us you have an amazing opportunity to live and to grow and to serve unhindered, unencumbered, fully ablaze for the Lord. You'll be part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so here it is. Look at this. I want to set that there so that we don't just read through this in some dreadful fashion. This is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. No, this is who the Lord's making us. All of us. You get it? Okay, so here we go. The words of King Lemuel. Who's King Lemuel? Well, tradition says it's Solomon. There's no biblical basis to believe that. Nobody really knows who Lemuel was, but there was no king named Lemuel in all of Israel's history. So many people just surmise that this is, listen, the mom 
of Solomon, which would be Bathsheba speaking to Solomon. Or, excuse me, yeah, Solomon. I'm getting Sam. Did I say Samuel for earlier? Okay. But nobody really knows. It's a utterance, just like chapter 30 was. Some believe that's prophetic, but whatever. It's utterances. It's speech speaking to the king from a mom, a mom's heart. Here's what she says. What, my son? And what, son of my womb? And what, son of my vows? It's three times. One, two, three. What, my son? What, son of my womb? What, son of my vows? This is a poetic structure to emphasize how important what the mom is about ready to tell the son. Now, in the uh, wisdom literature, in the Proverbs, again, and and also um, uh, elsewhere, it's oftentimes the father's job to speak to the son and to disciple the son. But it's also the mother's job. It's the mother's privilege to disciple the sons. Why? Because the mom has amazing insight and knowledge and wisdom and is deep and has been with the Lord And here, three times, it's important. That's what this means. And it ends with the son of my vows. I want you to know the son of my vows. This implies, doesn't it, that this mom has been on her knees for her son. Praying and seeking the Lord for his will. And in fact, son of vows, many people believe it's almost like what Hannah went through. Lord, if you give me this son or this child, I want to give him back to you. Stating and showing in this poem, this piece of scripture, the importance of what she's about ready to say. I gave, or you gave me a child, Lord, and I want to dedicate him to you, and I want him to know that, is what she's saying. Y'all with me? And he's going to talk now, or she's going to talk now, about two things. About inappropriate sexual relations and excessive drinking. I mean, times certainly haven't changed. And here, she says to her son, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit... as it's collected and put down, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Now listen, Solomon's life was turned for the worse because of his lust for many women. David's life, one of the great sins of all, was turned because of his lusts for other women, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And here it says, don't give your strength to women. Don't have an unhealthy obsession with romance or sex. That's what the mom's saying to the son here. Don't have, listen to what I'm saying it or how I'm saying it, an unhealthy obsession. And what a great word for today. Amen? Are we to 
know the biblical basis for sex and romance, or maybe I should say romance and sex in that order, yes. But don't have an unhealthy obsession with the either sex or romance. Now, in this culture, it's almost too difficult to keep ourselves from all that. I mean, gracious me, you can just be watching a sporting event and some commercial comes on and it's completely and utterly inappropriate in this way. You could be driving down the highway and see the billboards and you're like, what? Uh, what's happening here? There's novels and music and movies and on and on and on that are get, getting you to say, I deserve what I deserve. And what I want, I want. And if I, I'm happy to follow the Lord. But when it comes to romance and sex, that's my business. That's almost the way of the Christian church today. Well, we didn't murder anybody. We didn't steal from anybody, but we'll live with our boyfriends and our girlfriends and all that comes with that. Now, is there forgiveness and is there uh, moving on past that? Of course, everybody knows that. And yet the Bible calls us in Thessalonians and elsewhere to have self-control and holiness in that area. Amen? Why does God not want you to have fun? No, God's given you such beauty within the marriage in those areas. So she knows, and she tells her son, don't give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys the king. Now, I, in my household, I give a talk, and they laugh at me, <laughs> You know, we always talk about how you can dating and relationships God's way. And the Bible says, you know, <laughs> don't give your heart away too early until it's time, until you're ready. Don't give your heart away too early. And see, I think they're not just talking about giving away your body strength to women. I think they're talking here about giving your heart away as well. We have kids now, 12, 11, 10, 9. Parents are ushering them to proms and homecomings, dressing them up and letting them be alone and saying, go for it. And it's like lambs being led to the slaughter. And so don't give your strength to women, and by the way, women, back in that way. Don't do it. Not your ways to that which destroys kings. And you say you're over-spiritualizing it. Well, I don't think so, because the Bible says that we're royalty. <laughs> These things can destroy us, can do such harm to us, not because we're piling on here now, if that's happened for you in your life, you can find forgiveness and cleansing. But I don't know if you know this, but people are jammed up all over the world about sexual relations too early and too often. And they're constantly in counseling and hurt, and hurt. And it's a rough thing. As you can tell, I'm passionate about that. 
Well, if you go on, it says, it's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine. Nor for princes intoxicating drink. Lest, look, look what happens when you drink excessively. Lest they drunk and, uh, drink and forget the law. And pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are a bit of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. It's not for kings to drink wine. Now, the Bible tells us, all of us, that none of us are to be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but to be filled with the Spirit. Don't let anything, starting with, well, I don't know if I'd say starting with, but don't let anything have an influence over you other than the Holy Spirit. And... (laughs) I know it's cool in Christian circles now. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Because every time I talk about it, people get mad. It's fascinating to me. I can't believe a pastor in this day and age can't speak against drinking. When people, do you know there's 29 and a half million people in the United States who are alcoholics, 29 and a half million. Do you know what those, that does to a family? You go, okay, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. That's not what I'm doing. Can somebody have a glass of wine? Of course. But I've got to tell you, there's not too many people in here that's drank more than I have. And to be honest with you, even at the height of my drinking, One and a half glasses, I was under the influence of something else. But I get it. People are always going to talk to me about it and object. I'm just saying, you watch it because it's a slippery slope. Because when we drink, look what happens. We forget the law. And boy, is that true. Why do you think in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, that sex and drinking are put right here together. Why? Because the Lord knows. What happens when there's excessive drinking? Well, guards are down, people are in those places, and they forget the law, and I forget the law, and I would be the first one to forget the law under the influence of that. And look what else. They pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Amen. So what I'm saying is, listen, is it a sin if you have a drink of something? I don't think so. Is it a sin if you're under the influence of something other than the Holy Spirit? I think so. And I just got to tell you, I understand. But what would you think if you called me to go to the hospital? And I said, well, I can't right now. I just had three glasses of wine. What would you think? I don't know, maybe you wouldn't think anything, but I'm not going to take that chance. And so uh, that's one place where I'm not going to budge for me as a leader of this church. Well, over here, uh, in verse six and seven, nobody can figure the rest of this poem out. (laughs) 
There's several different views on this because he basically like throws in the towel maybe. Maybe that's how you read this. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Some people think he's being serious right here, meaning if somebody's about ready to perish or die, just give him this because, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, uh, it numbs, it, it numbs the pain. It's sort of like the end of life measures. I don't think that's it, but other people believe he's being sort of sarcastic. That would be my bent because I'm sarcastic, but it's like, you, you, okay, you think it's okay? How, how about to somebody who's dying? Give them to them or to those who are a bit of heart. Just let them drink and forget it. It's sort of a sarcastic thing. And I'll let you be a Berean and remember all of that or think about that and study that out. The thing is here, Here's a mom's warning to a son that she loves more than life. And she says, watch. Don't be excessive in these areas. It'll wipe you out. And you go, and it ends this way. Open your mouth for the speechless. In other words, listen, these things have their place maybe. Maybe. I don't know if I'm there yet. But but are you going to use who you are in Christ or as a godly person for things that don't matter or are you going to use uh, who you are in Christ to do the things by God's power that God considers important. And what does he consider important? Here are the things that he considers important. Widows and orphans take care of them. You know that's in the New Testament. Here, the Bible says, open your mouth for the speechless, the ones who can't speak for themselves, the poor, the outcasts. Use your life and leadership and who God has made you to be to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Why would you waste your time in those other areas doing all those things that don't matter when I, I think the Lord is saying, can give you a form to help those who can't help themselves? That's real, authentic, Holy Spirit living. And be in the cause of all who are appointed or in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth for the speeches in the cause of all who are appointed to die and open your mouth, judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Man, you know one thing to build into your kids or the people you disciple or yourself. You know one thing that we can do. And listen, this is a great night for us because today when we're done on verse 31, will have been all the way through the Bible at Calvary Chapel. And the reason it's a great night, somebody asked me, what does it mean to you? It means that God is faithful and he wants people to know his word. But we can be so consumer driven that we forget to live it out in the world. And here, I think the Holy Spirit in Proverbs is saying, don't just keep yourself some from stuff. Yes, do that but move out in action. 
by his power and his strength to help the ones who can't help themselves. Amen. And the second thing now, remember, starting with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, starting with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet right here in verse 10, which is, I guess, Aleph. It starts with that, that letter, the first letter, because they wanted to remember this poem. That's why they do it A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I realize it's not A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but you get what I'm saying. And they wanted you to know who, who wrote this, and God wants you to know that this is a burst of beauty and praise. It's not a job list. It's not a who I got to be. It's a poem of beauty or a song or an anthem of beauty about how we're moving both as men and as women, what the trajectory of our life is as God puts his spirit into us and has us walk by the spirit. He's adding to our character and strength and, and uh, patience and um, forgiveness and kindness and graciousness and beauty and resource and all of that. He's adding to it day by day. This is the trajectory of our lives. That's what this is. It's not a laundry list of things your wife better be. It's a laundry list of things that we can be in Christ. Do you get it? And that's freeing and beautiful. And here it comes. Look at this. Who can find a virtuous wife? That word is many things. It's not just virtue. This means excellent wife. This means many things. It means strength. If you look up this Hebrew word in the Hebrew, <laughs> I meant on Blue Letter Bible because that's where I look it up. This word means strength. She has strength. She has ability. She's efficient. She's wealthy spiritually. And it actually means valiant which means she's a beautiful, lovely warrior. That's what this means in the home, in the right way. She's battling for her family. She's beautiful and wonderful and directing things and strong. That's what this word is. And it, 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 there's no real, just one English word. That's why in my Bible, it has all kinds of italics and numbers trying to explain it. You get it? And I think if you just took a time out right there, take a time out and go like this and go get your journal. And it, you know that scripture that says, you, you know, deep calls unto deep. You know that scripture? Deep calls unto deep. I always, I'm like, what, what does that mean? Deep calls unto deep? What does that mean? the unfathomable deep things that the Lord wants to do in your life that he can't even find a word in the English or not he, we can't even find a word in the English to adequately describe everything the Lord wants to do for you and in you. You get it? So wonderful. And that's what he's doing in all of us. And who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Now, you know, in the beginning of Proverbs, rubies and wisdom 
are equated together. So her worth is far above rubies, and it's like a play on words there. She's a precious jewel, and she's so worthy. Why is a wife worthy? Because she has the fear of the Lord. She's in awe of the Lord. Your wife isn't worthy because she does your laundry. Your wife is worthy because the Lord believes she's worthy. (laughs) You get it? And, and she's wise in response by fearing the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? To be in awe, to be respect in respect, to, to bless his name, to magnify his name, make him big in your life. It, it means that you're up in the morning and can't wait. You, the husband and the wife, meeting with the Lord, singing to the Lord. And you're walking together through the day, even if you're apart, but you know, you're still together. You're walking together in the wisdom of the Lord, fearing him and loving him and singing out to him and praying for people and uh, practicing his presence. And listen to this, the heart of her husband safely trusts her. And as you move in marriage to where you're honoring and blessing her, look with me, go over to Ephesians. Chapter 5. Don't get bored here now. (laughs) This is so powerful. It says, here I go. I'm going to read it to you. It's going to put the hair up on the back of some of our necks here. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh Uh-oh. I'm in dangerous territory now. But here's what I want you to see, so you'll always remember this. I want you to go one more verse up. Actually, two. Giving thanks always for the things to God, all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Husbands, you submit to your wife in that way, and she submits to you in that way. And then wives submit to your own husbands. But it's a mutual submission at the beginning, like as to the Lord. You're you're taking into account her ideas and her thoughts and her strength and her wisdom that she's hearing from the Lord. And you go and you be with the Lord and and you're, you're submitting to one another and you're ministering to one another and you're blessing one another. And out of that, a wife then does want to, Submit to her husband. Don't ever forget that. I got so excited, I turned away from Psalm 31. But when you go back, you say the heart of her husband safely trusts her. Why? Because they've submitted to one another. And they've loved one another. And they know when push comes to shove... There's only one place... And one person that you can trust. Do you know that there's only two places, two places in all of the Bible where the Bible says trust somebody other than Yahweh, the Lord? And here's one of them. Do you see how holy and high marriage is? And it's not that the husband is the Lord or the wife is the Lord, but it's the Lord is doing something where two are becoming one 
You can trust your husband and he can trust you so that when you're away from each other, you still trust. So he'll have no lack of gain. He's free and she's free. They go out and they do their thing and can can live out there in the world where it's really difficult and hard. But they know when they come back together, there's this mutual submission and trust. It's a place of refuge and safety. It doesn't mean perfection. We're all, hey, listen, we're humans saved by grace. There's going to be sin against each other even, but then there's forgiveness and a reconciliation and a coming back together. There's she's the one you can trust and he's the one you can trust. That's what marriage is like, isn't it? It's real and it's raw, but it's also beautiful and blessed. And she have no lack of gain. So she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now remember, this is from a woman to a man. That's what this poem is is from. It's from her perspective, by the Holy Spirit, the mom to the son, to find a mate. There's nobody here that's perfect like this, but this is a burst of beauty and praise as the Lord is doing these things in all of our lives. And she does him good and not evil as he submits to her and she submits to him. Now, you have to remember now, you say, why are you picking on the wife? Well, we're not just picking on the wife. (laughs) There's no picking here. In Titus, you know, you see sort of the model what the man is to be, uh, to be like. And, uh, and, and in First Timothy, what the man in leading roles is to be like. And men aren't perfect in those areas either. But this just happens to be this prayer and burst of beauty to see what to look like in a godly woman. Well, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And then she seeks wool and flax mark that, and willingly works with her hands. She's ingenious. She's resourceful. She figures things out. She might not know it, but she tries to do it. She's like the merchant ships, which brings her food from afar. Now, merchant ships had routines and daily crossings, and they could be counted on. You get it? And they brought the goods, and they... And they were regular and consistent. And she also rises while it is night. Now, come on, folks. Everybody needs sleep. And you need eight hours of sleep. This means she's sacrificial. doesn't mean you have to be up at 3 a.m., but it means you're sacrificial in your life. You want to look, uh, you want to see what you should look for in a mate if you're exploring those areas. Look for people who lay down their lives. And here, that's what she is. And she provides food for her household. And yes, that probably means food that you eat, but I bet you that also means the spiritual food that we're to give. The mom, in the mornings, with the husband and the children, talking about what she read that evening or the evening before, or the things that the Lord's doing in her life. And the husband reciprocating and making it a culture for the family where the Lord is raised up and food is being given to the kids, even as real food, you know, like 
The food you eat is being given. They don't even know it, but you're giving food to them too, spiritual food. When they go to sleep and when they rise up and all during the day, you're just speaking of the Lord and loving on the Lord and they're seeing it. And and a portion for her maidservant, she's really compassionate. She thinks of other people, not just her own family. There's other people that she thinks of. And she's smart, really smart. She considers a field and buys it. She's a real estate agent. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> and from her profits, she plants a vineyard. She, she invests. I mean, that takes guts and smarts. And she makes more for her family. And she girds herself with strength. Do you know when the Bible speaks of girding yourself, do you know what that means? When you gird yourself, it, it means, you know, pulling up your towel, but it means getting ready for something really important and hard, but important. You get it? And so in here, the Bible is saying she's so tender and loving. She thinks of her family, but she has strength, man. And she gets ready and she works and does it in a good way. Now, I want you to see something here. The Bible tells us that how are we strong? When, he, when we are weak, he is strong. We remain humble. And, oh, by the way, just chew on this for this year. What does it mean? But it means something. But what does it mean? That the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's a joy in following Jesus. It's not a burden. There might be tough times that you're going through and it's, you know, you're on your knees and you're crying out and crying out and it's hard and difficult. I'm not saying that. And yet there's a joy in knowing the Lord and meeting with the Lord and she knows it and it just shines and radiates out of this lady. So she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms because she works hard. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you get it? And she perceived that her merchandise is good. What she does is good work. And her lamp doesn't go out by night. She's prepared. She plans for things. And she stretches out her hands to the distaff. And her hands hold the spindle. Well, that's a way of, it's not knitting, but it's a way of making thread, spinning to make thread. And these are two different tools and the, the point here is she figures it out because she wants to bless her family. That's what this is talking about. What's really interesting here is 13 and 19. 19 and 13 are what's called an inclusio in literature, biblical literature. It starts with she seeks wool and flax and it ends up she fi figures it out and completes it. Do you get that? Everybody with me? So there's a poem within the poem right there. Isn't that fascinating? And then it goes, she, uh, she extends her hand to the poor. Of course, she reaches out her hands to the needy. That's what this lady does. She loves her family, but she wants to go and help other people, and her family sees it and are blessed by it. And they start to live that way by sacrificing for others. And she's not afraid of snow for her household. What in the world? 
does that mean? It means just she readies her household for the things that come. What appropriate for today, huh? But anyway, and her household is clothed with scarlet. Now, no one really knows what this verse means except for scarlet was double dyed, D-Y-E-D. Do you get it? In order to make a scarlet garment, you had to double dye it. Does that not dye it? Dye it. And so what maybe this means is that she prepared clothes that were double fibered for times when it was cold. She prepared. And she, but listen, we know that she's going to be a person who cares about her character as the Lord works it out in her because we read verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. But it doesn't mean she just doesn't think of herself. I mean, she makes tapestry for herself. She makes appropriate clothing. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She makes good things for herself. Now, I'm going to take you to a couple places, okay? In the spiritual sense, how does this work out? Well, turn with me to Colossians 3. Ooh, somebody needs a new phone. <laughs> Go to Colossians 3, maybe I should get there, and uh, look at this in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, that's all sort of a picture of putting on clothes, put on tender mercies. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. She's kind and she forgives and she doesn't hold grudges. How about this? Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, and go in verse 3. Don't let your adornment be merely outward. It can be outward. You get that? Just not, don't let it just be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Wow. That's what she puts on. And so she does put on right clothes, but underneath, the Lord has been working in her heart, and she's beautiful in that way. And her husband is known in the gates this cause a freedom within the marriage, a beautiful freedom between both of them. They come together and they're blessed and they love and they trust and they encourage and they build one another up so that they're both free to go and to do their thing with freedom and joy. And he, that allows him to be successful. And she's all for that and he's for that with her. And look in 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. Again, resourceful and supply sashes for the merchants, and strength 
And dignity or honor, it depends on what Bible you have, but strength and honor are her clothing. She cares what's going on in the inside. Yes, she cares what's going on in the outside, but she cares more about what's going on the inside. And she knows, and the husband knows, that the way for that to happen is for him, one of the leadership um, responsibilities of the husband is that the wife is washed in the water of the word so that she becomes beautiful on the inside and in her character. And look, she shall rejoice in the time to come. Strength and honor are clothing. She shall rejoice. And she opens her mouth with wisdom. When she talks, people listen. Because why? Because of her inner life. Write that down. Her inner life. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. She's not demanding or domineering. She's kind in her strength. She's kind in her wisdom. She's kind in her resourcefulness. She's kind in her hard work. You could go through some of the verses. I read you one, but anyway, that deal with kindness. Ephesians 4.32 equates kindness with forgiving. And also in 1 Corinthians 13, kindness is grouped there in the place of love. She's loving. She loves people and she loves to know about people. And that makes her so kind because people know (laughs) that she cares for them and she watches over the ways of her household and doesn't eat the bread of idleness. She avoids laziness at all costs. Not that she has to be a type A, by the way. Listen, folks, you know the story of Mary and Martha. Some people read that and go, oh, I gotta be doing something every single second of the day. I don't think that's what that means. That's being overly obsessed with accomplishing things so people will think you're wonderful or something. I don't know. But the greatest thing and the first thing and the best thing to be and to do is to sit at the feet of Jesus. And that ain't lazy, man. That ain't lazy. And her children rise up and call her blessed. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 John there that there's nothing greater for a parent than to see their child walking in the Lord or walking with the Lord, right? That's what it says. But you know what else is beautiful? (laughs) Is when the child comes back and says, man, thank you for everything. You're awesome. And the child knows, right? Because they live with you. They've seen the faults and the sins and the bad times. It doesn't mean you're a perfect person. It means you're a person who admits and tells when you're wrong. And her children rise up, and the overall experience of their life in the home with their mom was blessed. And the husband also does this, and pray for me. That's not my love language. (laughs) Jan and I talk about that a lot. (laughs) But it's Jan's love language is to tell her when she does good things. And so... We're to be that. And many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. 
Charm is deceitful. Yes, it is. And beauty is passing. Yes, it is. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You know what? When you die, unless the Lord comes first, what do you want on your tombstone? Oh, my goodness. She was always so put together. She always just had the cutest outfits on. Or you want people to say, whoa, that lady had been with the Lord and was impacted by the Lord and was so kind and gentle and wise. And when we needed her, she had just the right things to say from the Lord. And she worked it out and she blessed her family and she was smart and resourceful and strong, but you'd never know it. She was just so humble and beautiful. Wouldn't you rather them say that? The woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. In other words, people will see. People will see what kind of person we are, won't they? It'll eventually come out. The things that you're focusing on and concentrating in, the things that you're doing eventually will always come out. Are you a person who's seeking after the Lord or are you seeking after yourself or myself? Am I a person who sort of is involved in religion, but I'm a Saul who picks up spears and throws them at people? Or am I a David who has his sins and foibles and bad things that have happened, and yet he keeps short accounts with God's and or with God, and he holds a harp in his hand, a healing harp, a healing harp or a killing spear. And so I hope as we move <laughs> out of this, we're going to go to the life of David. we can remember that this proverb is a proverb from a mom to a son, both poems. It just as much speaks to the husband as it does to the wife. It can't be a laundry list of things a person should be because this side of heaven, none of us would ever make this. And yet the Lord has given us his spirit so that the trajectory of our lives is this beautiful burst of praise and beauty. We could take these lines, men and women, because we have Titus and we have Timothy, and we could write these things down and say, Lord, as I walk in the Spirit, it's my heart that you would bring these Christ-like things in and through my life so that many people would come to know you before I die or before you come. So let's pray. Well, Lord, we do. We come here this evening and we thank you uh, <laughs> for all the people who have come and served in any way here at the fellowship. 
putting on lights, setting up chairs, cleaning the sanctuary, the kitchen, anywhere. All the different things, greeters, donuts, booth, sound booth. Lord, because your word is what makes us mature. And so we pray, Lord, that as we move out of here, you would help us to live and grow in these things and that you would direct us to people that we could share with and love and speak up for. May you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.